I V M. Attention is what all content is built upon. How do we capture more of it and continue to hold on to it? This has become far more complex in the case of television as consumers have a stream of content coming towards them via the internet. One of the standouts in holding attention has been what Star Sports has been able to do around the IPL. Not just with the use of attention as a metric for measurement, but also with the advent of applied neuroscience into mapping consumer insights, marketing, consumer profiling, feedback, and beyond. To understand this better and dig into how Star Sports has been able to garner attention to the level it has around the IPL, we have two of their co-partners in this aspect, Yan Liu, the CEO and co-founder of T-Vision, and Shikhar Chaudhary, the head of the Asian division of Neurons Inc. on Advertising is Dead this week. I'm Varun Dugirala, and this is Advertising is Dead. We're right back with Yan and Shikhar. Welcome back to Advertising is Dead. We're going to have a very interesting conversation. We're talking to Yan and Shikhar about, I'm not even going to try and compress this into one sentence, but I want to actually start off by saying welcome to the show. And um, I feel I'm hoping I'll come out smarter at the end of this conversation than I started off with. Thanks for coming on Advertising is Dead. Thank, Thank you for having us. So let me first start off from a broad lens. Right, uh, The conversation around just like neuroscience uh, in general has has really kind of, not even from an advertising perspective, I think from a broader perspective has become something which people always want to kind of know about. You know, people are listening to long podcasts, they're watching lots of content online and it's become a core part of not just how we look at advertising and, and metrics, but the fact that it's, it's across digital and TV and everywhere else. So I want to ask Jan first is that from your journey, um, how has this kind of scaled over recent years, especially when you look at it from a advertising, a live TV perspective? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, before I get into kind of the our matrix, maybe it's helpful for me to briefly share how we measure attention yeah. first. Yeah. So we believe a passive measurement is better mm-hmm. and more accurate and better for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So our technology is a camera-based device has a computer vision AI technology able to understand eyes on screen attention of audience at second by second level. And it's totally privacy safe, 100% opt-in from from each person. Mm -hmm. And we built this technology at MIT when I was a grad student there. And using this technology, we're able to understand eyes on screen attention, which I really believe is the most important matrix of the entire advertising industry. Mm -hmm. And if you're arguing advertising is bad, I think that's partially because people are using wrong matrix, right? Like Because if you use the wrong matrix, such as, let's say, TV ratings, TV can be on, but nobody in the room, which is wasting everybody's time and money. So why not just using attention to track? And we've been doing this for almost seven years now. And mm-hmm. uh, we had pleasure to work with Star since 2019-ish. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been a very interesting journey to, to understand the attention specifically around IPL, which is mm-hmm. a, a very premium live sports content in India. So, you know, you spoke about attention. I think attention is an interesting piece. And, and I want to turn to um, Shikhar this morning and ask him that, do you feel that, as we've, and I'm, this is like, this is me trying to come up with something off the hat is that as our attention spans have spread across multiple things, do you see that as one of the core reasons why looking at attention from this lens, from, from a neurology lens has really scaled up. And I, and I know there's a bunch of studies that you kind of dug into kind of scale um, your entire piece. So, so can you kind of dig into how that has kind of happened? Sure. So I think basically what we do in consumer neuroscience is 
in addition to the brain mapping aspects that we tend to test, we also have a lot of eye tracking apparatus that we actually use to understand what people are looking at, how long are they looking for something, are they being distracted by certain information around them. And then when we've conducted these studies, we found that even though people are looking at the TV, like Jan mentioned, their attention isn't on the content that you think they're focusing mm. on, basically. Mm. The TVs might be on, people might be in the room, but that doesn't really mean that their brain is actually actively working to take in that information, whether it mm. be content or any kind of advertising. That's why a lot of the advertising, even though it might have a lot of eyeballs on it, doesn't necessarily translate into sales because just because a person looks at it doesn't mean it got embedded in their brain, they remember it mm. later, it caused any kind of intent for them to purchase in the long run, basically. Yeah. So given the amount of distraction that people have, smartphones, tablets, everything around them, fo- being having people focus on one key element is obviously very, very difficult. And that's what we try to measure as how does IPL in this case, for example, have the amount of attention that people focus on it as compared to other genres, other pieces of content that would have slightly different amount of focus and attention on. And, and this is where I want to come into the IPL, right? Because um, obviously it is India's premier live sports tournament, but just the amount of attention it garners. I know that, you know, you've obviously seen this also from, from other sporting tournaments as well. Uh, what have you seen as the difference in just how consumers are, are paying attention to the content uh, beyond what else might be around? Yeah, so we've been measuring IPL already for three years. And uh, what we found is in terms of the attention index, IPL has 144 uh, uh, the average hundred, right? And uh, compared to the, the the next best category, this is like a sixty percent higher than the next best genre, which is like a crazy, right? So, so uh, <laughs> we've been doing this study in the United States. The kind of one of the best performing show is Super Bowl, but even Super Bowl doesn't reach this type of the performance. And we also been running business for five years in Japan. So, so this is kind of very unique show and content at a global scale. We, we couldn't really find similar type of the content can capture such a high attention while the pure impression is also very high. So the volume is very big. The quality is also very high. And that really surprised our team. And uh, when we initially start working with STAR, our, our data team like, really checked the data multiple times because they thought there's some bug in our data and which caused uh, some error because mm-hmm. nobody could believe at that point like uh, IPO has such a high attention. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting when, when things seem too good to be true, you got to go back to the data saying there must be something off there. But uh, when you actually look at that, and I, I want to... I want to understand this better, right? Because in many ways, the IPL does like, let's say it outperforms uh, other genres. You're seeing it, you know, just kind of scaling up in that effect. Uh, how does that then translate across to the advertising in it? Because if people are focusing more on the content, um, it does have a ripple effect or and kind of seeps onto the advertising as well. So how is how has that kind of happened? Or, or have you seen kind of some things have worked and some things have dropped? So what's worked over there? Sure. Okay. So the way that we tend to go about doing that particularly is in consumer neuroscience, we would design a study to basically evaluate comparing different genres against each other. So the way that Mm -hmm. we have done previous studies has been taking the same set of ads, take an FMCG ad, an automobile ad, a banking ad, take the same set of ads and place it in different genres. So place the same ad in GC content, in news content, in sports and in movies. Mm -hmm. And then essentially when you have different samples examining and going through the different pieces of content. They're using brain mapping equipment to essentially capture their responses in real time while they're interacting with this piece of content. So not only do we see that obviously the sports content has a far stronger response when it comes to the level of engagement, but then what we find is the ads within that context also tend to benefit from 
the sports context as well, which is something we call the halo effect. Which mm. basically the goodwill that happens during the sports content gets transferred onto the advertising within it as well. So let me give you a couple of metrics that we found accordingly. Memorability was obviously very very important. So when people see an ad, you want to make sure that they tend to remember the ad much later on. What we find is the memorability on sports content when you watch an ad on sports content is roughly about ten percent more than when you watch it on any other piece of content. Exact same ad will work differently based on what genre you're putting the advertising under. Same thing with the brand equity of different brands. We find that equity of brands tend to go up by three point five times. When they see something in a sports context, as opposed to say a GC or other context, and also purchase intent is obviously very very important. So we find that sports, particularly live sports, has a massive advantage over other con- genres when it comes to purchase intent. It's driving roughly about four percent more purchase intent as compared to GC, and about fourteen percent more than news and other con- genres. Basically, now these might not seem like big numbers, four percent, fourteen percent, but to even get a minute one percent increase in terms of purchase intent means maybe millions and millions of more sales for that particular product than you would have before. Really, yeah. it's a massive change that's happening just because of. You're putting it in a sports context as opposed to something else. And Yana, I'd love to get your perspective on this as well. Um, just in terms of how this is kind of seeped across onto advertising. Yeah. So our observation is actually quite similar. So there's always a drop of attention when you get into a commercial, right? I mean, we have to understand that. Like, people want to watch the show, right?、Mm-hmm. Average person don't want to watch the commercial. So there's a drop. But、yeah. if the content captures very high attention, right? We also observe similar halo effect. Because、um, if you like the show, you tend to get very excited about this, and you're not going to leave the room to go to the、yeah. bathroom. You're not going to、yeah. grab a beer. You, you're gonna stay there, and you're gonna continue to watch the show,、mm-hmm. even if it's a commercial. So what we found is, in terms of ad avoidance, right? It's much less. It's roughly fifty percent less than other genre during IPL. People stick around and they want to continue to watch, and attention level remains very high even during the commercial break. And partially, this is also because the ad part duration is shorter during IPL. It's usually less than sixty seconds, which is、mm. great, right? There's a very strong correlation between the ad、um, part duration versus attention. If you run ten minutes commercial, everybody can leave the room. So sixty、yeah. seconds is very good. In addition, IPL captures such a high attention. Those two factors really keep people continue be in the room, engaging with the commercial. And I guess those factors can translate back to neuroscience side to increase the memorability, consideration, purchase intention, which is amazing. You know, another thing which, and and this is something which, while you're speaking, I recollected is that you no, know, I was having a conversation someone the other day just in terms of the marketing that's happening around the IPL and something. Uh, I thought it was an interesting insight that initially you would have brands kind of put out what they normally made as television commercials or ad units and put them in between. Whereas now you're kind of catering it, customizing it for the IPL. So it almost feels like a seamless transition. Like you still have the cricketers there. It's still about the cricket. It's about T、uh, Twenty. So have you kind of seen that? That just like how. You know, sometimes you're focusing on a certain kind of content, and you, 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 your brain's okay. I'm, I'm focusing on cricket, but if you're, just, you're seeing the cricketers in a in a different space, or it's it's about cricket, so you tend to not move away.、Uh, and this is about like a random marketers having conversations. So I, I want to check if that conversation we had、uh, had any form of like weight. Yeah. So so from our study, yeah, we found that's definitely true, right? And we call that fit. So that the creative need to have a fit with the context of the show. Um, we found that if you use a famous athlete during the commercial, right, that usually drives twenty, thirty percent higher attention. If you 
put some like a sports thing, right? Uh, I remember Toyota did ads kind of uh, people kicking the soccer ball uh, during the World Cup. And that commercial did much, much better during the soccer program. However, if you run that commercial in an average news show, I mean, it didn't really perform. So, so clearly there is a context and there's a fit. I do think advertisers are getting smarter because now they have more data and measurement tool to, to help them to understand all these little interesting facts. So they started to really customize their creative to fit IPL context, which gives them extra boost on the performance. And um, Shikhar, I'd love to get your point on this as well. And also kind of dig into saying what's been working for some marketers and maybe not for others. And just from like just to do's and, and not to do's in that sense. Right. So I think advertising has grown over the past decade or so because people, obviously brands are realizing that creating context specific ads makes a lot more sense rather than just throwing advertising against the wall and hoping something works really. Because I think in the longest time, what advertisers used to do was take TV ads and take the same ones and put them on social media, put them on print, put them on other platforms and hoping yeah. that they would work in separate platforms. But what we found from a lot of neuroscience studies is that different contexts and different platforms have different ways people engage with the same content. So if the same ad that might have worked on television might not necessarily work the same way on Facebook or on Instagram or on other platforms. It has to be especially designed for that particular genre or that particular context you're putting it under. So brands are getting a lot smarter in fine-tuning and optimizing their advertising for different areas that they're putting it under. And similarly for the sports context, they understand through our learnings and through other learnings that what kind of ads work well on that particular genre and what can they optimize in their advertising to make it specific so that is the most effective that they can do. Yeah, you know, what I want to ask Jan about is that how does this then kind of seep down into how you assess creative, right? Um, you, know, you touched upon that early on, saying we always looked at it a certain way and now it's evolving at. Um, how is this kind of added to how we, how we assess creative? Yeah, so you may know that traditionally, the way to measure creative performance is in the focus group interview group, which is fine, but it's not like a real environment and it's also quite expensive and it's not also not real time. What we kind of doing is we basically created hundreds of focus group interview room in people's home and we're able to measure that in lifetime. This is like a, the real data coming from authentic household. So from that point of view, our data is quite interesting. We even can run the second-by-second second attention analysis on each commercial. And we've been sharing those data back to some of the star clients and they found it super interesting. For example, um, there's something called wear out, which means that if you keep running the same commercial, eventually people don't want to watch it anymore. Nobody able to understand what's the optimal frequency of the commercial before we introduce this solution. Because in the focus group interview room, you're only able to air this once. You cannot air this 20 times. But now we understand there are certain type of the commercials sustain longer frequency. Some commercial, you're only able to use this for three times. And that's a great insight for advertisers when they work with the creative agency to design the next wave of the creative campaigns and the design the objective and duration of each campaign. Shikha, do you think that this also kind of adds into how we profile consumers, right? I think one of the core things that, that people are looking at uh, as brands is that, okay, we always have a set of cohorts and then you kind of, that number of cohorts I know has expanded um, dramatically over the last many years, but um, getting it from a from a neuro profiling standpoint, are you seeing that as becoming, because as brands get more information around, for instance, if I'm a brand today advertised in, on the IPL, I've seen this data, I'm like, okay, I can use this across the board. I can, you know, I, I might need to 
A, understand it better. But on the other end, I need to also kind of look at how it can help me profile my consumer. How is that part kind of expanding now? So, so I think the way that we conduct neuroscience studies, obviously very similar, we run creative studies. We would show participants the different creators that we're testing using eye tracking and brain mapping, capture their emotional responses on a second by second basis. So when you have that vast amount of data, you can test multiple TGs against each other in the same way. So how does your ad work on young males age 18 to 30, as opposed to older females age 45 to 60, for example? They're very different demographics, but then testing different demographics against each other gives you a quantitative way of understanding where is your ad working and where your ad isn't working. And for example, if it's working in one context and it's not working in another context, what essentially can be optimized to appeal to a mass audience, appeal to a much bigger audience in that way. So understanding your audience obviously helps in that larger context. And then just pick up from that, I realize I'm doing this ping pong between both of you. But I think that's the fun of being a podcast host. Like I get to do that and I have two experts here. So I'm just playing ping pong on this episode. Um, how have you seen this as the data kind of scales? If I'm a modern marketer today, and actually this is the question to both of you, um, how do I need to upscale myself? Like if I'm a marketer today and the fact that I'm getting data using something which I've not been told I can actually get data from, it's obviously, it's a, it's a scaling science and it's obviously gotten more and more prominence now. And especially when looking at sporting tournaments now kind of scaling up the way they are, um, especially uh, in, from an Indian context with the IPL, what do I need to upscale myself about? What do I need to learn to be better, to leverage this better? Rather? Yeah, I think like a, in the traditional TV industry, no matter in India or Japan or US, people been using TV ratings as the main matrix to kind of do everything, right? Like a planning, optimization, measurement, everything for last, let's say, 30, 40 years. I mean, TV rating certainly has its own value, but the new technology, right? No matter the neuroscience or attention certainly brings a new perspective. And I think it's getting closer to the true value of advertisement. Try to really fully utilize those new metrics uh, requires education and requires learning curve. So which require the smart advertisers to get on this trend early and really invest the time to understand and also to experiment early to understand what's the best way to use those new technologies, new metrics to improve their advertising campaigns instead of just staying with TV ratings forever. Because if you don't innovate measurement on the matrix, it's quite difficult to, to really gain additional performance against your computations. Um, Shikara, I love for you trying to get into this. Yeah, so I completely agree with Jan, actually. So a lot of the times TV ratings have been the go-to model for this is working, this is not working. But then that's, again, very, very limiting. Especially brands and I are starting to understand that the conscious response that people have, what people say in focus groups and surveys, how many people are watching your ad, isn't a good reflection of what your sales figures will be or how many people are going to buy your product really. What people say doesn't always translate into what they do. That's basically the credo of neuroscience. That's why when we're going underneath the surface and instead of just asking them straightforward yes or no questions, we're actually seeing what drives those engagement responses, what drives those preferences. When you get into that kind of fine-tuned understanding, you get a much more accurate set of metrics to understand what can be done to make people more engaged, what can be done to drive more purchase in that way. So it's, for marketers, it's understanding the different metrics that exist out in the world and not the traditional ones that have existed for 40, 50 years and have a very negligible kind of success rate, to be honest, in many ways. Do you also see this as a, and this is coming from an agency perspective, right? You're also seeing the fact that media planning obviously has scaled up in importance, has always been, but I feel that now it's, it's, it's more of a science than before in so many ways. And as this becomes a core part of how you plan media, 
do you believe that almost like media planners need to have a core understanding of how this works rather than not just looking at the data as data sake, but at least saying, okay, I need to understand how this works. So then I can work with a, with a series of, of brands in different ways. And I know that live sports will be different from others, but from a broad lens, does this make sense for someone to kind of learn uh, almost to a, not a crash course, but uh, get, get more insights as to how they can use it better? Sure. So I think media planners, definitely. So, and largely in India, we work with a lot of different media planners in particular who've been working with different brands and to figure out how best to optimize the marketing campaigns that they have. But even before that, even the creative people in different advertising agencies, a lot of the time they feel an affront of some kind, mainly because they feel that their creativity is being challenged in some way by mm-hmm. the science that's coming into the stream, basically. Yeah. Because obviously, advertising is a very creative field altogether. One thing they should obviously understand is that science isn't there to take away the human aspect of it, the creativity aspect of it. That is obviously very, very important. But then the purpose of advertising is to make sure that there is some return on investment. There's something happening yeah. at the end of it, which needs to be measured through some scientific measures. And if the feedback is coming as to telling you that these things always tend to work, these things never tend to work, incorporating them into your creativity is only going to help the entire industry altogether. I have a bunch more questions, but I know I, I've been told as a few minutes ago that I need to go in for a break. So we're just going to do that. We'll be right back with advertising instead. Welcome back to Advertising is Dead. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to call this episode uh, Varun's Crash Course into how to understand something which I've been talking about, but now I'm finally understanding it better. Really bad title for an episode, but uh, I, I, I'm just going to let that one be. You know, before we get back into what you were discussing before the break, I'd love to hear from both of you what you set out to do uh, when you started off your career and, and how did you end up here? I think I always find that to be interesting to figure how where people's journeys lead them. Um, um, Yan, do you want to start off? Yeah, sure. So. I went to school in Tokyo, studied engineering, then I joined McKinsey as my first job, become a consultant. After a couple of years, I thought, oh, these clients are really all very stupid. I'm much smarter. I'm going to build a business <laughs> to, to, to make more money, right? So naively, I left McKinsey, studied a women's fashion brand back in China with my friends uh, from McKinsey. We all wearing black suits wearing tie, try to design like a women's bra on PowerPoints, not great idea. So, so that one failed immediately. Then we started an ad agency to really try to survive. That's kind of how I got into this industry. That's also when I learned the TV measurement space is quite old fashioned. There hasn't been a big innovation for quite some time, which led me to believe there might be some business opportunity here. Uh, then after that, I went to MIT. I got to know a bunch of engineers, and that's how we really started T Vision uh, six, seven years ago. Awesome! I I love the journey. Had a hop, skip, and jump from consulting to to women's fashion to this. This is why I, I this is one of my favorite questions to ask on the show. Uh, Shikhar, how about you? Uh, I think my journey isn't that elaborate, <laughs> but then so I essentially studied uh, neuroscience from King's College in London, mm-hmm. and then post that I worked in London for a while. Then I was in the US, and mainly my field of specialization was more clinical kind of neuroscience. So like most neuroscientists, I headed down working with clinical patients like schizophrenia, dementia, those kinds of things altogether. And I did that roughly for about two and a half years. But then at the end of it, it wasn't fulfilling in the way that I really wanted it to because it's a vast field and there's thousands and thousands of neuroscientists working to figure out these mental disorders and everything. It, I didn't feel I was being able to differentiate myself in that genre where it felt very crowded altogether. But my interest was always in the more applied aspects of neuroscience. So how can you apply neuroscience in more day-to-day aspects of how to improve people's lives, how to improve advertising, how to improve marketing. And that led me on to more consumer neuroscience models, basically. 
So trying to educate myself over consumer neuroscience over several years, I essentially joined Neurons Inc. in roughly about 2016. And from then, I've been basically learning as I go and understanding how best we can optimize these sort of creators, optimize every sort of advertising for this purpose altogether. So largely what I've understood from that journey is that consumers don't really know what they want and why they want it. 85 to 90% of decisions that consumers are making are completely subconscious. So neuroscience is the only way to go in if you actually want to understand what is driving consumer preference, what is driving consumer choices. No, I think the underlying thread in many ways is that as we try to understand consumers better in so many ways, we've dug deeper into not just how they behave, but how they think and how their attention goes. Getting back to the IPL, I think one core piece, which which I feel that is often generalized, is the fact that when you look at it from a male versus female focus, right? You, you kind of look at it, say, okay, live sports pretty much will largely skew male, uh, will largely be that. But have have you seen um, that this is this is not entirely true from an IPL context when you guys look to the data? Yeah, so so we, we also did a lot of study around kind of the not only male, female, but basically cut by different ethnic group uh, mm-hmm. as well. What we found is that there's really no clear kind of the difference in terms of the level of attention between the male and the female. So, so no matter like who you are, once you get excited about the show, the attention level is, is pure, is, is very, very high. And uh, that is like, a, it's not really based on the gender. In the US, we found in many cases, people do support their local team, right? That's very clear. So if you're in Boston, you support Red Sox. If that's on the show, the attention tend to be higher. But that has nothing to do with whether you're male or female. It's really more about how excited you are about the team. That's much more relevant compared to your gender. And Shikhar, uh, what have you kind of seen, especially mm-hmm. through the, the studies that, that you kind of focused on? Sure. So in largely neuroscience studies, whenever we test a sample of people, it always tends to be multiple target audiences altogether. So the studies that we've done have been obviously on young males age 18 to 30, which seem to be the prime demographic, something like the IPL. But then we've also tested other demographics like women of the same age, older women, who don't really factor in too much in the advertisers' minds when they're marketing on something like the IPL. But which we find is something that they should be actually focusing on, mainly because even though the males age 18 to 30 were showing the strongest responses in the brain to these kinds of advertising, women of the same age group weren't really far behind. It was actually very surprising that they showed almost the next best level of stimulation, level of engagement that happened with these sports content, with these advertising levels happening. That gives marketers a much more broader scope that they shouldn't just be marketing male-oriented products on this genre. Female-oriented products are going to capture and gain enough traction as well on this as well. So when you look at this from a broader sense, how do you kind of look at attention and, and intent to purchase and say that, especially from a live sports context, um, what almost like, how do I put it? What are best practices to kind of follow? Uh, I know you've discussed a lot of them. I want to kind of refine them down um, towards the, as you come towards the end of the episode. But uh, if you had to refine this on sync, this is the stuff you need to keep in mind. This is what really make sure that there is attention um, and then there is intent to purchase. Shikhar, you can start off and I'll come to Andre after. Sure. So I think the main key factor that we find, particularly in watching sports, is sports does seem to have a signature pattern that's happening in the brain that other genres don't really respect in some way or the other. There's a much stronger anticipatory response that's happening in the person because when you're watching a live sports, you don't really know what's going to happen. You're very emotionally invested with your team that's going to win or the, your favorite players that's going to win. So you tend to feel a lot more invested in what's happening on screen in real time. And we find that it activates something in the brain called mirror neurons, which is basically when you tend to empathize or you put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're interacting with or you're looking at, basically. And that tends to happen a lot more with cricketers, with different athletes that you're watching as compared to 
if you're watching a television show or a movie, for example, you tend to be a lot more invested because of these mirror neurons in the genre that sports is actually happening. So understanding and incorporating that in your advertising, having obviously celebrities, cricketers in your ads will obviously definitely help in the long term of how you create these ads. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, just building on top of that. So in terms of the media planning, we really need to shift from TV ratings-based planning to attentive ratings or attentive GRP-based ratings. And that's really the value of of our matrix, which is you can evaluate every single uh, spot based on the ACTM, right? Attentive CTM or attentive GRP. And uh, that's really the right way to take a look at it. And we've been working with many, many clients and we found that once you really shift to attention matrix-based media planning process, um, it's much easier to achieve the matrix, such as awareness, consideration, et cetera. We did a few studies, and we found that if you're creative or your your media campaigns only able to reach the low-attention media, you almost need 3x budget to reach the similar level of awareness, which is a lot of waste uh, money on the media media budget, right? So, so uh, I do think um, it's really about time for us to evolve from ratings to attentive ratings, attentive GRP uh, for the media optimization. Um, towards the end of every episode, I ask my guests a series of questions which have nothing to do about what we've spoken about. Um, it's about everything beyond that. I always find it more difficult to do this when I have two guests because um, it's always uh, the other person has more time to think. I'm sure it's still going to be fun. Um, I'm actually going to start off with uh, with Shekhar on this one. Uh, what do you spend a lot of time doing beyond what you do, uh, What uh, which you enjoy a lot? And people will be like, really, you're into that as well? What would that be? Uh, I mean, I've been playing drums for the past six years now approximately nice. on and off really so yeah so that's not something that most people know i have a drum set at home as well which mm. really my neighbors hate but then it's still <laughs> sub- so I've, I've been playing semi-professionally for the past six years now and that's something that's been my passion music writing music making music has been something that takes a lot of my time as well Dave. that's awesome I, I, I always find it interesting when people have drums at sit home mm. i have a friend who's who used to be a, a metal drummer who has one of those silent drums at home and he says right, the only reason right. he has the silent drums is so that his neighbors <laughs> right. don't complain exactly um yeah how about you uh i drum a lot so i mean startup it's like a somewhat crazy life and i found that running clear my head and usually i come up with some great idea after the running um yeah. so it'll be great i can use neuroscience to understand what's going on <laughs> in my brain while i'm running right there must be something special going because i feel much better and uh, like otherwise kind of you keep thinking about your business which is not that good uh for your brain and for the long-term success of the business you know, I hear this from every person who loves running. Um, my my wife's uh, someone who who runs all the time, and so it's just it's like meditation, but you're moving. Uh, and 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 that I think that's that's one of the best ways to kind of put it. Anything that you've read, watched, or listened to in recent times that you recommend? Yeah, and I'll start with you on this one. I mean, we we capture audience attention, so I have a little cheat sheet every week from the data team, which show has the highest attention. That I basically try <laughs> to check that, uh, but like a uh, I would say, I mean, it, it's kind of a popular show already. Squid Game. I, I really enjoy watching that show. It's it's yeah. it's it's quite interesting, entertaining. Once you start watching the first episode, you cannot stop. It's it's a great show for binge watch. I basically watched the entire episode, uh, entire uh, season. I think in maybe two three days during very late evening. Right, like a one a.m., two a.m. It's like I couldn't stop, which of course uh, my my wife doesn't like it, but. Uh, yeah, that's the yeah. show I really enjoy. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty much all of us who saw the show. Um, just went on and didn't stop. Shikhar, how about you? Uh, I think the most recent thing I've been binging on has been The Handmaid's Tale. It's basically one of the best shows ever out there because I think if you've read the book, it's a very faithful adaptation. The show, essentially, it's in the third season now. So I recently caught up on the first two seasons and on the third one now, and it's an extremely dystopian, extremely dark, but extremely entertaining show altogether. I, I recommend everyone should watch it. I realize that both the recommendations today are dystopian shows, so it, <laughs> right. I, I don't know if that has to anything with with what we've spoken about before, but uh, that seems to be a bit for trend. And and my last question generally is a spin-off of the name of the show itself. Um, why do you think the marriage between neuroscience and, and attention mapping and life sport will not die? Shikhar, you can go first. Uh, I think mainly because what we find is that life sport so easily outsurpasses what other genres are basically doing in terms of the level of engagement that it's gathering from people. That that's if they keep on going down that path, there's no stopping that train when it comes to life sports. Really. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I think uh, especially in the US, right? It's shifting to streaming. The traditional linear TV, many other genres are going to shift away and shift to streaming. But I do believe live sports going to survive and actually going to thrive under the linear TV because live is a very special experience. You share a, a space and time with your friends together watching. And that's a very special experience. And I, I think that's why attention is so high and it's very difficult to generate that type of experience through different type of the genre. Thank you so much um, for coming on the show, both of you. Um, I'm leaving much smarter than I normally do. I, I, all my guests give me a lot of stuff to learn from, but you've both given me a lot of things to think about. Um, I need some mind mapping right after, brain mapping rather, right after this one to kind of figure out what all I've learned. But thanks a ton for coming in and and, and sharing all that you've shared. And um, I think it's going to make people kind of relook at uh, not just how we look at television. Uh, I think television some, sometimes gets the shorter end of the stick when it comes to advertising and marketing these days. But um, I feel especially with live sports, there's so much more that can actually be done there. And thank you for, for, for talking about everything that you guys are doing. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thanks. If you like this podcast and you want to listen to more podcasts like this, head over to the IBM Podcast website or app or wherever you get your podcast from and look at all the podcasts that IBM makes. There's some really fun stuff there.